0: Excuse me, but are you loving this podcast? If you are, you can support the show through the 8 supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. All you have to do is hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
0: Excuse Me, I have something to say. Hello and welcome to Excuse Me, the podcast where we have real and open conversations about life and everything it throws at us. I'm your host, Sean Philip Naylor, and if you're tuning in for the first time, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never have to miss an episode. You can also join in the conversation by surfing your way over to the show's official website or follow along on the show's official Twitter, Facebook or Instagram pages where you can slide into my DMs and let me know your thoughts on the show or even future topics you'd like me to tackle. And as always, those links are embedded into the show notes for you. This week I want to start with a big hello and a big thank you to all of you lovely listeners that just keep coming back for more. I'm so grateful for your support. Thank you. And a big hello and welcome to all of you new listeners out there. You picked a great episode to join in on. Also, feel free to rate and review the podcast if you're an Apple Podcasts listener. This week, my special guest is an award-winning stand-up comedian, presenter, and comedy writer and also just a bloody lovely human being shan davis shan is currently at home in lockdown in the northwest of england so i decided to take full advantage of her newfound free time to have a long overdue catch up with shan and to talk about how she's chased her dream to become a stand up comedian what lockdown looks like for her, and the initiatives that she's created within the comedy circuit in the UK to help other working class and LGBTQIA performers get the chance to follow their own dreams. Sean, welcome to the show. How are you?
2: Hi, Sean. I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I'm good. You and I have known each other for a few years, but only ever been in each other's presence briefly.
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: Yes, that time you spent Christmas here on the Gold Coast with us was lovely. And because you spent Christmas with my family, that now means, I guess, you're always going to be somewhat family Also, my stepdad, I think he has a crush on you.
2: Oh, I love Brian. He loves you. Yeah. Um, I love all your family. They're so welcoming
0: and lovely. They're all right. My sister's a bit much. Not really. She's good. (laughs) Um, She's had a baby now, hasn't she? She has. She has a little boy. He's two two and a half. Adam. Lovely little boy. Yeah, typical two and a half year old boy, I suppose. But you, you've had a dog.
2: I have had a dog, yes. And how a is a big black hairy dog? And
0: how is your big black hairy dog?
2: My, <laughs> he's not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. So it's um, so I, we're recording our time difference here. So it's morning where we are. So he's just got up, very lazy in the morning. So he's just he's just chilling. He's actually um, just giving himself a little lick now. And he's just lying in his armchair. He has his armchair. And own he's just aunt. doing a big yawn.
0: But he's cool. He's a good looking dog. Um, if anyone's he's very thing, handsome. And they have a dog, I was going to say fetish, but that's not. No, no, if you have a dog fetish, stay away. But, uh, yeah, that's if, different. Yeah, if you like dogs, he's, an, he's a nice dog. His name's Eddie, right? Yeah. Like Izard?
2: Um, yeah, but not necessarily after Eddie Izard. <laughs> <laughs> Its <laughs> name's Edward Vladimir Davis the Third. Sounds like a proper gentleman. Oh yes, he absolutely. He'd vote Tory if he could. <laughs> now, how
0: is uh, life in lockdown treating you in England? What are you doing to keep yourself busy?
2: Um, well, we've been in lockdown for a long time now. So since like March, around like the twentieth, maybe of March, something like that, we went into lockdown. And basically, I have only been leaving the house once a day to walk the dog. And that is it. So uh, I've been doing a lot of nothing. Uh, (laughs) Been watching a lot of Netflix. I've been uh, spending a lot of time on the internet, just, you know, scrolling, the usual. And I've been doing a lot of DIY as well. So I've been living up to the lesbian stereotype there, unfortunately. I've had my tool belt on and I've been hammering away at things I spent yesterday in my cellar with a pickaxe so you know it's um yeah, just your standard lockdown activities really dog walking and cellar excavating
0: so I've got to say I am loving your uh your Instagram feed right now I have noticed that you have been keeping yourself very busy with your, your DIY didn't you start some sort of blog when you went into lockdown I remember seeing a picture of you and you were looked like you were about to go to war <laughs>
2: I did so when lockdown started I thought well you know this won't go on for long maybe I'll just sort of do a daily blog to kind of keep myself creative and you know write down what's happening and then after about maybe I think it was about 90 and 20 days of it I was like this is ridiculous and I have nothing else to write so I just gave up.
0: Well read dry.
2: (laughs) just stopped I just thought there's only so many times you can you can write down oh uh, I walked the dog in the park today here's a picture of him and I feel a bit rubbish and uh, here's some tiling that I did you know what I mean it gets a bit repetitive after a while so I just thought fuck it can I say fuck
0: yeah you can I just have to make sure I tick a little box when I upload it to to Apple that it says it's explicit so fuck 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 fuck
2: fucking hell (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> um you, so you have been doing some awesome DIY I gotta say um this is completely over anyone's head who's listening who has no idea or seen your Instagram but I really like that wallpaper oh in the vestibule the floral the floral numbers. yes
2: yes so yeah I was really happy with it actually considering you can't you can't go in any shops or anything so I've ordered everything off the internet and you like you never know what something looks like till it turns up it It's absolutely lovely. It was only £10 for the roll. only needed one roll. And then the tiles that are underneath it were £5 a box, three boxes. And that's all I spent on the vestibule. And it looks amazing. Maybe you should
0: leave uh, Stand Up behind and do your own little uh, online DIY show.
2: Maybe I should. But just like really bespoke, just like just vestibules or something. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Always on on a budget and ordering it online without seeing the uh, materials first.
2: Yeah, niche niche vestibules to you.com
0: perfect we'll we'll, have a mouthful but yeah but that's okay we don't mind that (laughs) (laughs) so when you were here in Australia had no idea that you wanted to chase a dream of stand-up was that something that you always wanted to do or was that just something you fell into when you went home
2: um so it's definitely something that I've always wanted to do and I would say it's also, something that I always knew I was going to do. It's like I feel like it, it. It's always been a path that I wanted to go down, but it was never really the right time. Um, there was always other things happening, and then a couple of things happened that sort of made me make the decision to start. Because I was always like, "Oh, you know, yeah, I'll do stand up at some point. I'll, I'll do it in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah." Um, and then. Two of my really big comedy idols both died quite close to each other. So, uh, uh, Victoria Wood, who um, don't know, like you'd be familiar with her, Um, she 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 died, um, and she was quite young as well. She sort of I think she might have been 60. And then Carolina Hearn as well, who, um, Ooh, yeah, I if you, people aren't away. familiar, she's sort of from like the royal family and things like that. She, um, so, they, And she, she was even younger. Um, and they, they're two sort of massive comedy role models for me, if you like. And it sort of made me think, you know, like they, they both created such a, a huge body of work and had so much more to give. And they both died quite young. And like, I haven't even started yet. Like, if I'm going to do it, I need to do it. And it, it was just like a, a switch went on, like a realisation. I just went, not like, now's the time kind of thing. So, so yeah. And then a couple of days later, I saw an advert for, like, a new act competition at a local comedy club. And you just had to send a little video. And I, I did it. I recorded the video in my bedroom, sent it in, um, went and did the competition. And like from there on like met lots of other people started doing different spots in different places and it's just sort of progressed and I'm at the point now where I I don't know I guess I'm sort of semi-pro sort of comic yeah
0: Semi pro, I like it. Um, and you're you've got some really funny stuff up on YouTube. There's little snippets of you. There's the I love the one on your actual website where
2: ah uh, yeah, so that's from the uh, from the funny women final last year that was um. That was at the Bloomsbury Theatre in London which is a huge absolutely gorgeous venue and Funny Women is like a big national competition basically and uh yeah it, it, that's my set from there um which was it was really well well received and I got some good reviews for it and uh yeah came came second in the competition so yeah it's it's a pretty good set <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's very good I was playing it through my phone and Benny was um, sitting on the couch with his daughter and it just the first bit where you t- you you got your memoir all penned out with the, for the title. Yeah. And they both just cracked up. Hilarious. Just for those people who are listening, what would uh, your memoir be titled?
2: Uh, Memoirs of a Gay Sean.
0: <laughs> Every time <laughs> cracks me up. <laughs> so you are a gay Sean, meaning that I you am. identify as somebody in the uh, LGBTQI plus family. How does that work with your stand-up and identifying in that way? Have you had any sort of bad responses within the stand-up circuit, whether it be hecklers? Because I would imagine the stand-up community are, are full of, I mean, just generally accepting and funny people.
2: Yeah, I mean, it depends really. So I've never really had like a negative or like directly homophobic kind of incident like that when I'm performing. I guess what what I think is important is, you know, you're a comedian and first and foremost you, you need to be funny. But I also think it's important to to own your identity. So one of the first things I do when I come on stage is I make a really quick joke about, you know, the, the fact that I'm gay, but I know that it's funnier than what anyone else in that audience can shout out quickly. So I immediately, when I walk to the stage, what goes through their head is, oh, it's a woman. Oh, she's a lesbian. And straight away, I make a quick joke that acknowledges that, lets lets them feel at ease and prevents some dickhead from shouting out, where are you fucking dyke? So, you know, I, I... I'm getting them on side, but I'm also doing my job. So I'm not sort of apologising yeah. for who I am. I, you know, I'm not explaining it to them because they, they've got eyes. They're not stupid. They can see my hair caught on my shoes. But I'm, I'm taking ownership in the room. And I find that that just sort of, it puts them at ease and it lets everyone know what's going on. And then we can just carry on with it, you know?
0: Um, it sort of leads me into my next point, which was I was going to ask you what your thoughts are on self deprecating humor particularly with I guess I've, I've probably seen it more with gay male comedians where it's almost like because yours isn't self-deprecating when you go on stage you like you say you're just acknowledging what they've acknowledged and I guess you're getting there before they have a chance to and then everybody moves on but I guess in the past there's always been well not always but there's been a lot of self-deprecating humor when it comes to being openly gay and standing up there in front of all of those people would you agree? Yeah I think
2: I think there's, it, it depends really. Like I think some people have that style where they are more self-deprecating than others. But I think it's okay to make yourself the butt of a joke if that's your style. But I don't think you should be doing it to excuse other people's viewpoints, you know? Like I think you've got to look at it in terms of sexuality, race, gender, anything like that. It, it's okay to to joke in some ways but you know there's a definite line somewhere and it, it you know you you've got to make sure that you're not punching down and even if that punching down is is at yourself you just think of think of how that might be used in other ways so if if you know if you're making a joke about gay people or whatever and you're like well that's fine because I am gay okay but imagine the gay kid in school having that repeated at them if you know if your work was on tv or or whatever and I think you've, you've got to you've got to be okay with with what you're doing and you've got, you've got to own it and and understand that it's not just you're not just carrying your own weight you're carrying the weight of a lot of other people with you as well that's
0: um really really clearly clearly said um and you've sort of I guess t- already touched on my next point with you which was that there is a fine line sometimes between what can be a humorous joke and when it becomes a hurtful joke. And how do you manage that when you're writing your material?
2: Um, Well, I just think the bottom line for me is I'm there to entertain. I'm not there to make anyone feel small or to upset anybody. So, you know, the thought that, anyone could feel upset by something I'd say that pains me. I I wouldn't want that. I would not want to come off stage and have someone come up to me and go, Oh, I was actually really offended by that or really upset by that. You know, like I've, I've been in rooms where I've felt like a punchline as an audience member. And it's horrific, you know. I actually, so I run a show at Edinburgh Fringe called Comedy Queers, which is you're um, hilarious
0: because you answer, you're going into all of my questions. So I'm just am gonna I step stop ahead? you. You're
2: Sorry, <laughs> she's an so intelligent well,
0: woman. Um, but yeah, my next question was actually about the show Comedy Queers. I feel like, because you, you, you've also got Best in Class, which is somewhat mm-hmm. different. And I feel like I know more about Best in Class than I do Comedy Queers. So I was actually going to ask you about both of those, those next. I think particularly with Best in Class, it's such a great initiative that you've got with that one. But yeah, tell me tell me about them both.
2: Comedy Queers is basically a late night LGBT showcase that we, we run every year in Edinburgh. Um, and I MC it. And um, it's at the Edinburgh Fringe, and the way it works is it is literally just me MCing with five different LGBTQIA+ comics every night. They all do sort of like five to ten minutes, plug their own show, and that it's just it's a great sort of evening of just like quick fire entertainment. Um, if you don't particularly enjoy someone, you'll enjoy the next one. But what we've done with it is we've created a really friendly environment where for an audience member that's queer it can be difficult sometimes you go into a show and you're thinking am i going to be the punchline is there going to be something said here that i don't you know not that i don't agree with but that sort of disagrees with my whole intrinsic being like is there, you know because yeah. because we can all disagree with a viewpoint but when when it's about you it's um it's really hard you know and then if, if that does happen what do you do do you just sit there and take it just stand up and walk out do you create a scene do you complain a lot of queer people don't want to put themselves through that so they won't access mainstream comedy because they're afraid of being ridiculed and made fun of but with comedy queers we aim to make it a safe space. We aim to make it acceptable and, and accepting for, for everyone, whether, you, whether you're queer or an ally, you're just looking to have a good time. Just come in and enjoy it. And, you know, you won't be made fun of, you won't be ridiculed and you won't be the punchline. You know, we're, we're there to have, have fun, have a good time. And it's it's such a good show. I love it because literally anything could happen. From my point of view, it's... um. Like it, it's it's done sort of late in the evening. We're about like half 11 now. We do it. We used to be later. We used to be like quarter to one in the morning. But it's like after a really long day at, at Edinburgh. So, you know, you're at the fringe. Last year, I was doing three shows a day. So I've already performed at two shows. I'll have seen a lot of shows as well. Um, I'll have been around being really busy. And then I get to Comedy Queers, which is my last show of the day. And it's just so uplifting. Like, it's always, like, you'd be there waiting, saying, like, oh, we're going to get... How many audience members are we going to get? And all of a sudden, five minutes before it's about to start, taxis will pull up with just people <laughs> in, like, feather boas, covered in glitter, like, just, we're here for the queers! And, like, everyone just comes streaming in. We play... um We always put on, like, let's have a kiki at the start. So we're <laughs> all sort of having a little dance and having a good time. And then we just... We just go for it, and we just have an hour of madness. And it could be we could have comedians on the uh, um, really experienced sort of you know acts that have got their own show. We could have comedians that are just sort of experimenting with something new. We we have like sort of variety stuff as well. So there'll usually be like some some crazy kind of musical act or whatever going on, and it's just a sheer joy. And I I literally come out of that room at like half past twelve on on an absolute high. It's beautiful. I love it amazing and now uh
0: I'd like to go so let's uh get this pandemic out of the way so that uh, we can come back over (laughs) and uh, go to the Edinburgh Fringe and be a part of that I can get my feather boa Benny likes a good feather boa so we'll be
2: uh yes
0: we'll be there with the bells on and um what about your other show that you work on which is best in class
2: Yeah, so Best in Class is a project that I started a couple of years ago now. We're now in like the third sort of cycle of it. And it's an an initiative to support working class people to access the arts, in particular the Edinburgh Fringe. So for people that, that don't know, the Edinburgh Fringe is the world's biggest arts festival and as a comedian there's sort of an expectation that you will go and perform there um it's it's not just sort of about going and performing it's also kind of like a big jobs fair within the industry it's where everything happens so all of the decisions are made based on edinburgh so you will go to edinburgh that is where agents will see you that is where you will meet tv producers deals are done people are cast for things it's It's very much where a lot of people's years work come from, as well as things like booking tours, getting booked for live work, stuff like that. So it's really, really important as a comedian to be up there. However, it's very, very, very expensive and it limits people accessing it because of the expense. Now, the issue is for someone from a working class background they may not have or they they will not have access to that money. So um, basically what what happened to me was um, before I was in the position to take a full show to Edinburgh um, when I was still quite a new comic, I wanted to go up and I wanted to maybe be part of like a showcase because there's lots of sort of things where maybe you you'll be on a mixed bill with people and it gives you a bit of an idea of of what what it's all about and I applied for a well-known showcase and I was asked to audition for it and I thought great this is brilliant you know I can go up I can do this they told me that if I was successful at the audition I'd have to put up 1800 pound by the end of the week to secure my place on the show now there was the potential to earn that money back based on ticket sales in six months time it didn't cover accommodation or anything like that it i'd also have to do a lot of marketing work and things like that so i was i was torn because i really wanted to do the show i wanted to be up there but it was also a lot of money and i, I don't live in a world where i can just pull 1800 quid out of my back pocket yeah um, but what i did was i i arranged to borrow it off my credit card and at the same time i was chatting to a friend of mine who's also a working class performer and she said well Maybe we could do a crowdfunder and try and help you out. Even if you only get 100 quid, you know, that's 100 quid less you'll have to borrow. So she put a a crowdfunder up there and she mentioned that I was working class and she mentioned the show and she mentioned how much it was going to cost me. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And people started donating and people started sharing it. And within an hour of that going live online, I received a phone call from the promoter dropping me from the from the audition. They said that I'd lied about my finances. They said that... <laughs> this was probably wasn't the sort of thing for me and that they didn't really want to work with the likes of me. Yeah. I was, uh, it was horrendous to be honest. Absolutely horrendous. He did, the guy just sort of went shit at me down the phone for about 20 minutes. Didn't really give me a right to reply. And uh, I came off the phone absolutely gutted because all my hopes and dreams had just gone. After being really upset for a couple of days, then I got really angry about it. And I was like, well, hang on a minute, because it's not just about me. You know, I'm, yeah i'm working class but i'm in a position where i can borrow that money off my credit card if i need to you know i from a working class background but i'm i'm not not as disadvantaged as some people that i know that are working class you know i, I know some people who have to borrow money to get a bus to go to gigs and things like that so you yeah. know i'm I'm am all right i've got my my house i've got my car I'm i'm working i'm okay so i decided what i was going to do was i was going to do something to change it. So I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I, I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. But I thought, do you know what, I'm going to do something. So I applied to run my own show, which was Best in Class. It was a showcase that was just working class comedians. So I got I got eight working class comedians. I sort of put a thing out online and asked people to apply for it. I picked the eight people that I, I thought we're going to be good on the show. And um, we crowdfunded to pay for our costs. They had to pay their own accommodation and things like that and their travel. The key thing was I wasn't going to make them pay for, to take the show. So I wasn't going to ask for any money off them because I, I wanted them to just have that have that access without paying for it so yeah. um if if we hadn't have made the money on the crowdfunder, I was going to cover the cost of of taking the show. but we did make the money on the crowdfunder, and all our expenses got covered and then um, we did the show every day in Edinburgh. We did IMC'd it and I had two acts each week with me. The way we do it is on free fringe. So if you don't buy your ticket in advance, you donate at the end of the show. So it's free to come in and then you put a donation in the in the bucket. And um, what we did was we everything that we made, we divided it between us. So it was everyone got an equal share for the work that they'd done. It was fantastic. You know, we, we had quite a lot of media interest in the run-up to it. We were in quite a few publications and things like that, did quite a few interviews. And that all sort of helped to drive footfall to, to help us make money. You know, the the great thing is that I kind of fell, fell up upon it by something bad that happened to me. But I turned that bad experience into something positive. And then after the first year I decided to continue with it so we did it again last year with eight different working class comics again we crowdfunded we did um, more shows around the country where people buy tickets and that, that all sort of fed into the expenses and it was it was great you know working with these comedians they're, they're all absolutely fantastic and they're all so committed they just they just want to do their job and the thing that's holding them back is is money so you know we, we help them out with that as, as much as we can and yeah we were all set to go again this year we selected the eight comedians uh we we had the venue and everything and then uh, obviously you know this was all bc before covid um yeah. so we are sort of we we've rolled everything over to 2021 so those comedians won't lose their places if they're still available and still up for doing it that they'll be on the team next year and um, if they're not we we can get other people in to to replace them so we, that that's where we're at with it so you yeah turned um, some serious
0: lemons into some sweetest lemonade last time so I'm sure you'll have more yeah. success after this whole COVID-19 thing is over
2: yeah it's um you know I feel like it's just one of those things that it was really needed in the industry you know because nobody was really addressing it and that makes me angry because i <laughs> i was a fairly new comic i only started comedy in 2016 you know there's been working class people around for quite a while Ooh, now a why as, why did it take me as a new comic to create an initiative at the world's biggest arts fe- festival what like why why where, where was everyone else what what were the venues doing yeah. what were the promoters doing what were the other comics doing what why, why did i need to do it I mean, I I'm glad that I did it and I think it, you know, it's a great initiative and I I really enjoy it. It's fantastic. But it shouldn't have been me. I I shouldn't have had to do that.
0: No, but you have. And so now you've been able to create an opportunity for other people, an opportunity that if it was available when you were first starting out, I'm sure you would have jumped all over it. So um, applause for you. Well done.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think I always believe that. Like, if you if you're given an opportunity, you should bring people along with you. You know, pull pull other people up the ladder. Oh, like I spoke like a think, true
0: working uh, working class girl.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think that's what it's all about. You know, I I had an opportunity and I wanted to bring people along with me, and I will always always support all of the comics that we work with on best in class, I always put them forward for different things. And like, you know, if people are sort of asking for recommendations, I'll be like, yes, this guy or this girl, or, you know, this person, um, because they're all fantastic. Fantastic.
0: Awesome. My next uh, little tidbit for us to have a little talk about is uh, just around the time of, covid lockdown so just before you won an award best debut show at my hometown leicester comedy festival such a accomplishment well done congratulations and i've seen the snippets of your show that are available to me online and very well deserved what was that whole experience like for you
2: absolutely fantastic to be honest and wonderful to have won it so um Basically, I I wrote the show last year as part of uh, an initiative with Greater Manchester Fringe. So they they had an initiative whereby they took an act and gave them mentoring um, in order to write their debut show. I was really lucky to get that. And I worked with my mentor, the wonderful Dave Williams, and I had some funding and things like that. And I, I wrote my show and I was really, really proud of it. I performed it at Greater Manchester Fringe in July. And then since then... I've been editing it and honing it and working on it and tweaking it. And um the, the whole plan was for it to be my debut hour at Edinburgh this year. Because that's sort of how it works. You build and you build and you build and then you take your debut hour up. Um and everything was sort of slotting into place quite nicely. Um I was getting sort of good, you know, good reviews for it, good feedback from it, and the first test of the year. Is Leicester. It's sort of in around February time. It's like the first comedy festival of the year. Um, and a lot of people use Leicester to maybe run out the early ideas for the show that they're going to take up to Edinburgh. So for me, my show was already written, but it was it was being tweaked and it was being moved around. So I knew it was in a fairly good place going into the festival. I did, did the show. I knew it had gone well. Um, it, was, it was being really well received at the time. It was sort of, it all flowed nicely. And I, I know the, the audience were really enjoy in it and I came off the stage feeling like yeah you know this is this is in a really good place when I got I don't even think I got emailed to say I've been nominated I think I just got tagged on Twitter and I was like what hold on a minute (laughs) this is ridiculous so I got I got tagged on Twitter saying I've been nominated for best debut show and I think there were maybe five acts and of the five acts I knew three of them I think and they are all fantastic they absolutely outstanding comics that, that I've seen and that I've worked with and that I know are brilliant. And just to even be nominated in that in that lineup was um, was wonderful. There was supposed to be like an awards ceremony and all of this. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna dressed all fancy and go to an awards ceremony and uh, I probably won't win but it'll be lovely and then lockdown happened and everything got cancelled so I never got to go to the award ceremony but I did win the goddamn award you so did. that was nice. I and got your an acceptance
0: speech was amazing uh, it's beautiful yeah. on your Instagram and it is. I absolutely adored your not so subtle uh, jab at old Boris Johnson in the
2: background. <laughs> Well done, again, more
0: applause for you.
2: They emailed saying, oh, um, like, you've won, by the way. You know, I was like, oh, fantastic. And they were like, but um, we can't get your actual physical award to you because the company that makes them obviously are in lockdown now. So you need to record a video with just a random item, pretending that that's your award. So obviously I chose the
0: Communist
2: Manifesto. Sorry. And yeah, I did have a, a few subtle jabs at the you know society as a whole really and the government so yeah do watch that get on my insta uh, and have a little look and then give to go the followers so, well, yeah i was yes I was elated to, uh, to win the award, but it's also a bit of a double-edged sword, to be honest, because again, it would have set me up perfectly going into Edinburgh, as in that's something I could have put on my poster to, you know, to help with sales and things like that, that I'd won this award, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, you can't take that award away from me, but it will be next year now. So you know a whole year will have passed. So yeah. it's lovely to have won, but it would have been even lovelier had we not been in a pandemic. <laughs> but hey-ho. Indeed. So
0: uh, just while we're on the pandemic, here in Australia, the arts and entertainment industry has pretty much been crippled and there are so many performers who are just not being able to perform and they're losing such a big chunk of the money that keeps them afloat and they don't i think i told you this in a message yesterday that we have something that the government have put into place here called the job keeper and for some reason the arts has slipped through the crack of that and they're not performers and not being able to get a hold of that money you guys i guess as performers in the uk and you guys are still so far away from things even starting to look normal again how how do you think this is affecting the the arts industry over there and what what do you think the landscape will be like when you can finally get back on a stage again
2: well it's again it's absolutely massive for the arts industry this like it's similar in a way to australia a lot of artists have fallen through the cracks so they did a grant for self-employed people so if you're If if you were like an artist that is maybe like a sole trader, so you just sort of work for yourself and whatever, you could claim three months of your 80% of your income for three months. But it's like based on what you were earning this time last year. So a lot of people like myself who have maybe only been earning as a freelancer in the last 12 months, not eligible for anything. If it's not your full-time wage, you're not eligible for anything. So again, like myself, I work in a part-time job. So I sort of get like half and half from from comedy and f- from part time work. So you, you're not eligible unless it's your full full income. Also, what a lot of people here do is rather than being a sort of like a sole trader, is they have a limited company and they they're paid as the director of that company and they'll be paid partly in dividends and and. Partly as as a payee, so it's it's very complicated if you're in that situation, and basically you're eligible for nothing. So it's there's there's a lot of people that have fallen through the cracks. Some people that I know are now basically just on universal credit, which is which is our benefit system. Some people have have managed to get. I guess if you if you made a lot of money last year, you you're, you're probably okay because you you'll be getting a good a good amount of money this year but it's going to be difficult for for a lot of people um there were some grants available through the arts council 2,500 pound for for each individual but not everybody was eligible for that even of the eligible people not everyone will have got it and you know 2,500 pound doesn't go very far because there's also as as well as the, the sort of money you haven't got coming in there's also the money you've already paid out so you know like i i've already paid for half of my um festival runs for this year some of them I've been able to roll over the the money till next year. Some of them, some of them are not emailing me back uh, and they've got like either. 400 pound of my money. Uh, for example, like, you know, some of them, some of them have been really good and they've been in contact saying, Oh, this is what's happening. This is what we're doing. Uh, here's a refund or whatever. Some of them are, are sort of, just gonna go bust and keep our money. And people people are in really, really difficult situations. The government have made available like loans and things as well. So that that's good in a way. So you can get basically you can get a a business loan if if you're a business that is sort of on very favorable rates. So that's quite good for some people. Um, But at the end of the day it is a loan. So you know you've you've got to if you're using that to live off, you've got to sort of have a plan for the future. But I think the biggest the biggest difficulty like outside of individuals is got to be in terms of the venues, because there's no way of knowing when people are going to want to be turned to live comedy or theater or whatever, you know, would would you want to go and sit in a small basement with 50 people that you don't know, you know, it's sort of during this time, even if they said tomorrow, right, everything's fine, go back to normal. I wouldn't want to go back into that environment because of you know the understanding of how things how things um develop how how the this uh virus spreads and whatnot it it's very difficult so it, I think understandably live comedy will will not be the same as it was for a very long time so the likes of the venues a lot of a lot of theaters have closed as in they've gone bust they're gone so a lot of people i know for example um a friend of mine runs Shows and things, so they they've booked theatres. Those theatres have now gone bust, so they are thousands and thousands of pounds owed to them that they'll never get back. You know, there's there's lots of things like that. I know other people who run like comedy clubs and things like that. They're just in limbo. They're just waiting. There's nothing they can do until they're told that they can open. And even when they do open, there's there's no guarantee that things will return to what they what they were. No, I think it. the public are going to be rightly, quite dubious. Yeah,
0: whatever that is. Like, we're sort of mm. getting back to some level of normality over here. I've returned to work. That's upsetting, you know, because. Oh God, I can
2: imagine. I,
0: I mean, I've just had two months off at the beach. Um, no, it's upsetting. <laughs> it's upsetting because um, you're dealing with the public, and we have all of these, like, in the shop, we have a sign on your window which says, at the moment, R says you can't have any more than five customers in at any one time. People are just walking in. Not not paying any yeah. attention and then you're having to turn not turn them away because they've got these little footprint stickers on the floor outside just so everybody knows to stand you know one point five meters apart and you're like you just, can you just wait outside and they look at you like you've just you know you know spat in their tea or something was, yeah. yeah
2: the general public um, are difficult very difficult <laughs> They are. Cool. I um. I as somebody that's clinically vulnerable, I take it quite serious. So, <laughs> yes. um, like you know, when, when I'm outside, I, I wear a mask. I'm I'm only going out once a day to walk the dog. I don't go into shops unless it's absolutely necessary, and then I will only go into like a small local corner shop and get what I need and run out kind of thing. Or oh, I pay. I don't just <laughs> get what I need and run out. <laughs> vulnerable I'm gonna shoplift goodbye no <laughs> so you know I I'm staying away from people as much as I can but even just being out walking the dog the amount of times like people just come behind me and start breathing on me or like you know I have to cross the road about five times just just to get away from from idiots because people just don't understand they just think oh well I'm fine and they don't understand the implications of, of passing it on to someone that's that's not fine because that like you know I I've, I've got a chronic respiratory condition, which means if, if I was to catch corona, I'm quite likely to be someone that would get um, a, a serious illness, um, would end up on a ventilator and could die from it. So um, I'd rather not catch it, if that's okay. Um, yeah, just stay indoors, uh, safe. You know, stay alive.
0: Stay alive, survive, stay inside.
2: Yeah, um, it's like your mantra, it's like your government mantra, stay alive, survive, stay inside.
0: No, I've just created that now. So let's oh, that. Oh, nice. Yeah, Get it
2: painted. Done. Get it on a t-shirt. <laughs> Get it on a face mask.
0: Oh, now you're talking. Mm. <laughs> so as somebody who has been able to turn a couple of bad situations in your life into some very positive steps forward for yourself, what does the future hold for uh, you as a comedian? moving forward i know it's really hard uh, to say but like are you working on any new material while you're in lockdown or are you just wallpapering and and do you know, you know what i'd vestibule. love to tell
2: you that i've that i've written um five sitcoms and <laughs> <You> <laughs> can tell me shows. however <laughs> um i i usually draw a lot of my inspiration from you know everyday human interactions and the people around me and as I've not been having many human (laughs) interactions I've not really written anything um I've I've sort of taken this time as a rest from comedy I don't know how long that'll go on for but I feel a bit like you know there's been there's been quite a few online gigs and things like that happening like people streaming gigs and stuff and it I've been asked to do a few and I've thought about doing my own, to be honest, but then I thought, well, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not desperate for that. Like I don't, it's a very different thing doing an online gig because you don't have the immediate audience reaction that we all crave and love and that we all live for. Um, (laughs) So why, like, why would I do it? Why why would I do it without applause, Sean? Why (laughs) Why would I do it? Um, But no, the the other side of that being that, you know, I I still have my part-time job. I still have the income from that um because i'm sort of on like the equivalent of your job keeper thing so i'm still being paid from that so i'm not desperate for money so there's not as many there's not that many of these sort of streamed gigs and things so the ones that i've been offered i've said to the the people organizing them i would rather somebody that that needs this does it instead of me because i'm still getting my wage essentially so i've kind of just taken it as a as a rest because you know a lot Since I started comedy, it's been full on, you know, I've I've had very little time off. I'm usually a really, really busy person. I'm usually sort of working 16 hours in my day job, rushing off, dropping the dog off somewhere. Like I eat all my meals in the car. Usually I live off like um, supermarket sandwiches that I just sort of pick up and like, or something from a petrol station. I usually finish work, take the dog home, feed him, get back in the car, drive to somewhere for a gig, do my gig, drive back, come back, have a couple of hours sleep, get up, do it all again. You know, that that's my normal pace of life so it's you know it's killing me not performing I love performing and I'd love to be able to perform but it's also quite nice to just slow down my pace for a little while and just focus on I don't know like tiling and things like that
0: (laughs) other other lesbian jobs that you seem to have just put on the back burner
2: I've I've neglected my woodwork to be honest Sean (laughs) and uh (laughs) The Sandy Toxvig's not happy. She's been in touch.
0: <laughs> well guys, that's a wrap on yet another episode of Excuse Me. How awesome is Sean? If you want to know more about Shan's best in class initiative, head on over to bestinclass.org.uk. And if you're feeling generous and want to support the arts to get more working class comedians exposure on the festival circuit, you can donate to the Best in Class Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash best in class. You can also follow Sean and Eddie's Lockdown DIY adventures and much more over on Instagram at Sean Davies comedy or on Twitter at Morrissey's Quiff. As always, these links are embedded within the episode description, so please go check them out. And as for me, I'll see you next time.